Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that could help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a how-to guide for finding your lesbian soulmate, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before we go any further, I have a question. If you could create anything for the queer female community to connect better with each other, what would you do? Well, on this episode of Women Wanting Women, I talked to my friend Cassandra Vanuk, the founder of a new organization called Let's Be, who tells us all about what she's created and also shares some crazy stories about adventures she had when she was a new lesbian coming out and getting in trouble in high school and beyond. After the interview, be sure to check out letsbe.com so you can learn even more about Cassandra and what she's creating there for our community. Cassandra. I'm so glad we're finally having this conversation. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm not even entirely sure what you're doing yet with your new business. I know it has something to do with the lesbian community, and we've been having plans to sit and talk about it, but I figured we might as well record it and let the world know about what you're working on. And, you know, it'll be an also fun opportunity for me to really ask you questions about your experience as a queer person growing up. You come from a little, you come from a younger generation. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear what things were like for you. So how I was in high school in like the nineties, when was your high school? So I graduated high school in 2015. 2015. Wow. So that, that's crazy. And, and tell me about where you grew up and what your experience, when you first heard about, was it always that you knew about women being a thing together? Because when I was younger, that wasn't something I really necessarily knew about. So tell me about your whole, let's hear about it. My whole uh, revelation of my sexuality. Yeah, so I mean, I grew up in a small town called Bavel on Long Island. Um, for those who don't know Bavel, it's um, a little cute beach town, uh, actually on the bay. And um very, very Italian, small-knit community, great place to grow up, really. Um, kind of the fundamentals of my growth started from from Bavel um, and uh, the actual education system, which I have just the utmost respect. Um, like I said, um, just a great place to grow up. And um, uh, let's go back a little bit. I'm actually adopted, um, and I was adopted from a single mother from Bavel from Russia, so I'm actually originally born in Kazakhstan, adopted when I was three, and came over and started my new life in Bavel. <laughs> and uh, so you were you know, adopted just, when you were three. So you had three yeah. years with a different mother. Yes. Do you remember that? Three three years actually um, in the orphanage 
But um, no, there's no recollection, no sense of really anything. I wish I could say I did. It would be probably cooler to say like, oh, I remember I was like in the orphanage, like being an orphan. But no, that's not the case, unfortunately. Or maybe fortunately, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like something that might have been sad to be at that age. Yeah, there's actually a happy ending, which maybe we'll get into at at the end of this episode. Yeah, for sure. During COVID. So that's crazy. We'll I can't wait to hear. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You got to keep listening because you're going to find out. Exactly. So, yeah. So I grew up on Long Island and, um, you know, I was always an athlete by heart. I played every single sport, every season. I played basketball. I played uh, tennis, but really lacrosse was my sport. And um, at a very young age, really since middle school, my uh, mother she was ingraining into my uh, subconscious that you need to get a scholarship or you're not going to go to a good school because uh, we were middle to low um, income family. Um, and I mean, forty, fifty thousand $50,000, most people can't afford anyway for one semester of college. So I was kind of taught at a very young age to just work hard, do well in school and get a full ride scholarship. So by the time I was in high school, that was like my all. I was waking up, playing lacrosse at six in the morning, going after school, playing lacrosse, traveling. I was on multiple travel teams. And then this was kind of sort of my slow realization um, of my sexuality. But I can tell you exactly the first time I I knew that I was gay was um, right before practice. And I was hanging out with this girl, I guess for privacy reasons should I change the name or can I say her name do you think she'd care I think she'd be happy to hear the story all right you know better than me well her name was Chloe um still rings true in my heart uh and um we met you know just through high school shenanigans and um she told me that like she was into girls and I was like what do you mean you're into girls and um I never really discovered my sexuality until you know when you just feel the feeling and it's just like whoa what's going on in my stomach and why am I like so flustered around this person and we would do this thing where we'd hang out after school because school ended at like 2 45 and we'd hang out until 3 30 because my practice started at 3 45 so I had this like little buffer time to hang out with her so we'd just like walk around the school like get some snacks like just talk and um we were in we ended up walking into the auditorium, which was like. Wait, I want to hear that she said, I'm into girls. And you said, what did you mean you're into girls? What did she say? You know, like, how did she explain it? Did you need to, or did you, did she not give you an explanation? She was like, yeah, like I've hooked up with a few girls before and with her beautiful hazel eyes looking at me. And I was like, oh, wow, that's like really interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it is. You know, when you're young, you don't know what to say and you're just like, nervous and you're scared and and you had never heard of that before I never heard of that before no I it was like just a whole new world (laughs) totally okay so now you're in the auditorium she walks you into the auditorium. how did you end up in this auditorium again we just walked in you know that's all we did like after school we would just like walk around and talk sit outside but I'm sure it was like it's probably during the winter or something so we were just staying inside and um she walked, we both walked in the auditorium and there was nobody there. The lights were out. So 
super um, cute vibes for my first kiss. And she kind of just stopped. I can't remember exactly like what caused her to stop. Maybe to like to tell me something. And then she stopped and just kissed me. And the softness of her lips and just the feeling of this one kiss I've never experienced before because prior to that, I was kissing boys like, like no tomorrow. I was like, cool. I kissed a guy, whatever. Like I, it just, it didn't phase me, you know? Um, in fact, I didn't really even prefer it. And when I experienced this kiss, I was like, oh, now I get what they mean, you know? 100%. Like all the movies <laughs> and the songs and everything makes sense suddenly. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It all, it all aligns in that one moment. Very nice. Go Chloe. Yes. Shout out to Chloe. And um, I was obsessed with her still. Like I'm still a little obsessed with her. She was like my first love. Um <laughs> But then her parents found out and like her mom called my mom and it just wasn't a good situation. And that was, I was kind of outed before I could come out to my mom because her mom called me and was like, your daughter kissed my daughter. First of all, it was the other way around. Okay, <laughs> let's get that straight. And I made sure my mother knew that. But, um, and then it just kind of sizzled down for a while. And then when I turned 16, I actually just asked my mom, hey, like, you know, can you, when, whenever there was something that was really serious I needed to speak to my mother about, I would say like, hey, can you sit in the room? I need to tell you something. And like my heart's like pumping out of my chest. I'm starting to sweat. And at the time when Tumblr was a thing, um, I was a big Tumblr. I actually found. And what does that mean? I don't actually think I know what that means. When Tumblr was a thing, I was a big Tumblr. That might, that might be something. I don't know what you mean. No, yeah, Tumblr was a thing, and it's not a thing anymore once it sold to Yahoo, I believe. But So was it a chat room? It was kind of like an Instagram, um, but you would be able to make your own blog, and you'd be able to repost beautiful photos, and people express themselves, and it was really an amazing outlet, especially at a young age when you have all these feelings and thoughts. So, um, And it was a big place for the queer community to come together and connect, whether that was through visual art of. And what year are we in again? What year was this around when we're in this story? I mean, we're at, I mean, I graduated 2015. So like 2013, 2014. Right. Yeah. So Tumblr was a thing. And I met a lot of friends on Tumblr, like gay friends, one from New Jersey. And then I met this girl named Kate. And she ended up being a long-term online relationship for like two years. Um, she was a few years older than me. And she was absolutely amazing as well with just giving me this really needed support when I first came out because it was hard. Like I, like I said, I was from a small town on Long Island. And when I came out, I was the only lesbian, it felt like, or like the only somehow people would phrase it the cool lesbian you know and that's not to disrespect anybody like whatever but there were certain um I guess you could say biases of how people saw a lesbian at the time and um in a way people kind of made a joke out of my sexuality like oh Cass is like the lesbian and it was just like I am but you know I'm more than that um and what was the joke 
I mean, there was multiple ones, but it was just like, I mean, <laughs> there were some meaner ones, some that even came from my family, like, you know, a carpet muncher, things along that nature, which actually didn't even phase me. It was just the fact that like my family saw this as a negative thing and it wasn't really my friends saw it as a negative thing. They just kind of made fun of it. Like, oh, Cass is like the neighborhood lesbian. Like she's the only lesbian in town or. Right. And so then the, and the only connection you were able to find was online for two years with this awesome person, Kate. Uh, yeah. I mean, at the time I was using like some dating apps, but my life was really limited because I didn't have a driver's license and everybody was 30, 40 minutes out of the way. And Chloe, what? She just, it just, it fizzled and it never came back. Where, what ended up happening with her? Well, Chloe was bi, so. Heartbreaker. Yeah. <laughs> so I lost, I lost. And I saw her go through many boyfriends throughout our, the rest of our high school career. But yeah. Rough. In the beginning, it was good though. Like we, we would like pass notes in class. It was like dream come true, you know? So cute. So, so, so heartbreaking. I'm sorry about that. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Rough, rough. But go, Kate, uh, being an awesome online rebound. Yeah. So, and um, yeah. So then I like just, I came out to my mom. She was in my room. And ironically, this was a time when like there weren't, I had like this laptop where I had to get this like external. Uh, camera. I just remember this small detail and I was FaceTiming, not FaceTiming, but Skyping actually with Kate from Canada. And I was like, oh, I like need your support when I come out officially to my mom. So you secretly had your mom recorded? Like you had her on video yeah. chat? <laughs> she was on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but it was good to know that Kate was there. Yeah. Oh, exactly. It was like we were coming out together as a couple too. And so, and Kate was in Canada. That's where she was. So she, that was why it was two years that you never met her. She was nowhere near you. Kate was in Canada. That must've been intense. Did you ever meet in person? Yeah, we did. That was a crazy intense story. <laughs> All right. So one at a time, we're obviously getting there. Next, one at so time, there's yeah. many. All right. So your mother, how did she react? What was that experience like? How did you even bring it up? I just, I was like, listen, I gotta, I gotta tell you something. Cause at this point, me and Kate's relationship was really starting to like strengthen and we would send things in the mail. So at some point I figured my mom's going to catch on like this random person is sending me like teddy bears and like really cute things in the mail. And she's just like a pen pal and Tumblr. Come on, you know? So, um, I'm always somebody that likes just to bite the bullet and just face everything head on. So, I just came out and I was like, yeah, like I'm, I am gay. Like I am lesbian, but obviously more emotional. Like I was crying and like shaking a little. And, um, she was like, that's it. I thought you were going to say you're pregnant. <laughs> so, um, needless to say, initially she wasn't that phased. She was actually happy that it wasn't terrible news or terrible news in her opinion. But then, um, as life just continued to go on and, maybe through her own personal circle, she didn't, she wasn't necessarily the most supportive. Uh, she's gotten better, but, um, you know, we're talking about, I would sneak out and tell my friends to say, if my mom were come look, my mom was really, really overprotective. Like she, if I wasn't home, she would like call everybody in town to find out where I was. And so <clears throat> there was like certain instances where I was seeing this girl later, like it was my senior year. I, 
going into college and um, I told one of my best friends, Chelsea, you know, we're going to go to the city together, but really you're just going to drive me, drop me off to the train station. I'm going to meet this other girl who I met online as well. Two time and Kate, what is this? No, 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 no. We, we broke up towards the, towards the end of like junior year, the beginning of senior year. Cause she went to college. So you know how that goes. Okay, fine. So now you're a senior and there's a chick in the city and your friend goes, Yeah. you're kind of set up so that she's supposed, she's covering for you. You're apparently going to the city together, but really you're going to meet up with a chick you met online. Yeah. Yeah. Her name is Melinda. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of, um, planning and execution and everybody in on it. Um, cause it was hard, you know, all you want to do is feel that first spark you felt with the first kiss with Chloe and you just, you want to run with that feeling and find that again and again, and you'll do anything. You will literally do anything to do that. And so, and I was a good kid. I never acted out. I had straight A's. I, at the time I had a full ride scholarship. I was going to Bryant university that, that year. And this was my summer and I was a lifeguard and I was having fun, but my mom was so over, uh, protective. And throughout the year, we actually made certain, like I said, we we're very strategic with these operations, um, of meeting. Uh, there was one time where we actually, my lacrosse team, my school lacrosse team, high school, um, we actually traveled to Maryland and this is an insane, this is actually probably more insane um, story that I'm going to tell you because she ended up, it was like a group trip to Maryland for like three days. Right. And we, and the whole team, except for the coaches were all in on sneaking in Melinda into my hotel room. And she stayed the night and my coaches never knew. And everybody, the whole team knew about it. And in the morning, everybody was like giving me high fives and they're like, Cass, you're a savage. And like, we snuck her in in the middle, like at nine, I guess when everybody fell asleep, my friends who were staying with me, cause we both shared a, a bed um, in the hotel. And they went to the neighboring room? They went to the neighboring room. They like all slept in one bed so we could have our own bed. Oh, they're such good friends. Yes, I love those I friends. Know. They were awesome. What a great night. Yeah. Oh man. It was, uh, it was so cool. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, prior to that, I mean, I guess after that experience, um, because then school was out and it was the summer, Melinda was going to meet me in the city and we were like, great, let's, let's meet up. It wasn't the first time we, we did that before. And, um, I typically always got away. Like I would always come home at the same time. My mom would be like, Oh, how was your time with Chelsea? And really I was with Melinda and I've great. But this time things went a little differently. And I just turned 18 at the time, which meant I could get a tattoo. And so me and Melinda had this slogan, live big. Like we always said it, live big, because we wanted to live our lives big. And in fact, we got matching tattoos saying live big. I have it on my inner, inner lip and she has it on her ankle. And like I said, Tumblr influenced our lives just a little too much. And we were like, oh, we got to like take cool artsy photos together with our lip big. And um, part of Tumblr, like there was some beautiful art and then there was some like graffiti with like beautiful sayings. And I was like, oh, I want to write, I want to write like live big, like all over New York City with a Sharpie, not like a spray painting bottle or whatever. 
18 year old me just got a tattoo with my girl at the time and we're writing live big with a Sharpie on like trash cans and like stop signs or whatever, you know, just random things and taking photos construction, you know, the construction boards when it's like under, we wrote like live big, huge cat CV plus MW. And um, now we're in Times Square and you know, the red steps, like where everybody goes to take photos and see like Times Square. And right like by the red steps, like on the side, it's like glass and just impulsively cast at 18 years old. I go over, I'm like, oh, this would be such a cool like photo. So I'm writing live big. And as I'm writing like the last uh, letter of G, right, live big, all of a sudden I feel two hands grab on my wrist. I'm pushed up against the wall and it says, NYPD, you're under arrest. And I'm like, what? What am I doing illegal? I didn't even know that writing on public property with a Sharpie was illegal because I thought you could just wash it off. So I thought it was a joke at first. I was like, okay, whatever, because you're just in shock. But my hands are officially like I'm being handcuffed. She's Her hands are, by the way, um, it was a girl cop, so I was kind of into it. Um, yeah. <laughs> She was like this older woman, but she was an undercover cop. So she was like, NYPD, like I was an undercover cop. Like I, we were following you this whole time and we were just waiting for you to do something dumb and we're arresting you. And she like went up all in my pockets to make sure I didn't have a weapon or whatever. And like, next thing I know, I'm going in the back of a police car in Times Square. And my girl at the time is like, what the fuck? And she's like, where is she going? And, um, that was really scary. And I'm just like, wow, I'm in the back of a cop car. The two cops in the front that are two guys at this point are just like, what did you do? And I was like, I wrote live big on the steps. And they're like, oh, don't you know that's illegal? I'm like, no, I didn't. So I, um, I was in the, the jail for like a whole night. I didn't get out until like two or three in the morning. And, um, Needless to say, actually, my mom started freaking out. Like I said, she'll call everybody in town. While I was sitting in the in the uh, the cell with two other young women who were in there for stealing like three thousand dollars worth of Macy stuff, who were like, "Oh, you're fine, sweetheart. You'll be all right. You're you're gonna get out scot free. You'll be fine. Stop crying." Because I was crying. And um, first thing I do is I I call my friend Chelsea, who was in on the thing, because we're me and Chelsea are supposed to be together in the city, but I'm, I'm seeing Melinda. And, um, I call Chelsea. I'm like, Chelsea, I just got out of the police station. I just got arrested. Whatever you do, don't tell my mom where I am. And like, what happened? Just cover me. I don't know what to say, but just cover me. And she's like, Cass, what the fuck? Like it's three in the morning. I'm like, Chelsea, I know, but I know like the storm is coming. And then all of a sudden, literally on the phone, I hear a knock on her door and her dad is like, Cassandra's mom is here. And she's like, your mom is here. I'm like, whatever you do, just cover me. And so my mom is pissed. She like basically like knocks down the door, wakes everybody up in the house at three in the morning in a sleepy town on Long Island. And is like, where the hell's my daughter? And Chelsea's just like immediately doesn't do what I say and cover me. She's like, she's with Melinda. And she's like, who is Melinda? And I proceeded to then just call my mom at this point. Cause like, you know, the gig was up. I just had to come clean. 
So I call him like, mom, like I got arrested. <laughs> and yeah, the fireworks just went off from that point forward. What did you do this and that? And I was like, listen, I'll explain everything, but I need to come home with Melinda because she has no ride back to Maryland because we were supposed to, she was supposed to catch a bus back to Maryland. I was supposed to catch a train back to Long Island and everything was scot-free, but that's not the case. And it's five in the morning at this point. And my mom is like, if you bring Melinda home, I will call the police. And at that point I was just, I'm sure she probably wouldn't, but she was just like, you know, you just got to get home. So the only person that I knew in the city that happened to live on 34th street in Harold square was this other girl called Lauren that I was kind of flirting with for a while. We went on a few dates. Um, and so I tell Melinda, I was like, listen, I have this, this one girl, I was talking to her, like, it's really nothing, but like, that's the only place that I could send you. And so she's like, fine, it's fine. I don't care. I just need a place to sleep so I can get a bus in the morning. So I, I call her and I set it up and I just, I tell Melinda to pretend we're cousins or something because this girl was like really into me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like really messed up. And so Melinda's like, fine, I'll, I'll pretend. So she goes over to this other girl that I was seeing and she's exhausted. And this other girl, her, her name is Lauren, was talking to Melinda the whole night about how much she likes me. <laughs> so yeah, so then I had to leave Melinda in the city and I had to take the first train home to Long Island. And man, that was not a good conversation. My mom was actually like, she just freaked out. She was, I mean, understandably so, because I'm like, I'm on a full ride scholarship going to college in two months. And now all of a sudden I get arrested and my mom thinks I might lose my scholarship. Now we have to go to court. Like now I actually have to hire a lawyer and, um, she was just like, you cannot impose your like personal, um, you cannot impose your personal desires and have it affect your future. You can't go to the city with like a bunch of rejects and like live your life. Like you're not going to live in this house, living your life like this. You can't do that. And that really broke me because like she finally came clean about how she really felt. And the summer was horrible. It was a terrible summer living at home, being in such a toxic environment. And I could go into that story, but just to save it with time, it just wasn't good um, after that one experience of stupidity. But do you think it was about the girl or was it about you getting in trouble with the law in kind of a stupid way or kind of making a mistake? I think it, I think it was a little bit of both. Cause she found out that I've been lying to her and like, you know, you know, saying that I'm going to work or saying I'm with someone else and actually in the city. And maybe that scared her because the city she's, she's, she's pretty old, like not old, but like she was amongst the older uh, mom. So their kind of point of view of the city was always like, it's bad, it's dangerous, you have to be safe. And then she finds out randomly, I'm like arrested for, you know. Yeah, it's like all of her fears then confirmed and she gets to blame it sort of on your homosexuality or exactly. But even though one has nothing to do with the other it was then it means, you know, gay equals criminal. Yeah, equals terrible. <laughs> 
Right, right. Equals lying, equals everything bad that exists under the sun. Got equated in that moment. Oh, that sucks. And she couldn't then unbundle it. So it's not like she could say, look, I'm really mad at what you did. You know, the fact that you're, that you prefer women is separate and not your fault, but everything else is like, you know, but she couldn't unbundle them. That sucks. Yeah. I mean, eventually she kind of simmered down, um, but it took a few years and we're now at a comfortable place where, you know, she's met my current partner right now who I've been with for almost two years at this point. She's come over for Easter and, and, you know, Christmas pre COVID times and she was fine. You know, she's just cordial. So. And also now you, you didn't lose your scholarship, I assume, right? Well, I I actually dropped out of college, so I did eventually lose my scholarship, but it wasn't due to the fact that I was gay. Actually, it was due to the fact that I was gay because I really wasn't happy in at, at college. No, that's rough. Oh, your your mother, right? Because she really it's for people who see the world in one way, and you're trying to live on your own terms. That's rough. Exactly, a very um, how would you say untraditional way of. One, being adopted, then coming out as gay, then getting a full-ride scholarship, there's some hope, and then leaving my scholarship behind to pursue a modeling career in New York, actually. Um, but really, like, the underlying basis of that decision was I wasn't happy in college because there wasn't a queer community, and I actually had a boyfriend. And it wasn't because I was attracted to him. I was attracted to him emotionally. I liked who he was as a person, and we just... He was just like, why don't we just try it? And I was like, yeah. Um, But things just spiraled out of control. And really, it was just lack of community, which kind of sparked the initial idea, which we can go into later about Let's Be. But I didn't have a community. And it was so hard. And Bryant University is 3,000 undergrad, 3,000 students, um, undergrad students, business school, very similar to kind of like the dynamic of Long Island, very small knit community, which I liked in a way, you notice the people when you walk to class and you you notice you recognize faces and I I value relationships, but especially during such a pivotal time when you're young and exploring yourself and having amazing experiences in high school and like going through all these crazy situations to meet up with a girl, then really having nothing was really, really hard for me emotionally. Um, to the point where I became a little depressed and was just, I just couldn't imagine myself being there for four years of my life. It was too much. It was overwhelming to imagine four years there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A lot of people who listen to this podcast permanently live in small communities where there's no queer community at all. So. Yeah. No, that's hard. It's hard. And that's why online communities is a blessing, honestly. Yeah. So so you left college to start a modeling career. Yeah. So I left college to start a modeling career. And that was and you went back to New York? Did you go to LA? Where'd you go for that? Yeah, I went back to New York. I had a few friends that were going there for school. So I figured I'd just lay up with them for, you know, a little bit while I figure my stuff out because it just, I couldn't live on in Providence anymore. It just was not even an option. And going back home wasn't an option either. I couldn't go back to the small town blues. 
So I figured, you know, let's go to the big bad city and figure it out. You know, I just felt in my gut, I'll figure it out. And worst case scenario, I will go back home to Long Island. Worst case scenario, but it really wasn't even an option. So I reached out to a few friends and I was like, yeah, I'm going to start a modeling career because I actually started a little bit of modeling in college and I started getting a feel for it and I, I thought I could make it. And long story short, I didn't make it. <laughs> I tried. I went to every single agency. I sent them my headshots. I went in personally. I even went to like the Calvin Klein headquarters because I wanted to be a Calvin Klein model. And um, it didn't work out. So I just started, I just got a regular bartending job at the time um, from kind of like an underground bartending job because I wasn't 21 but they didn't care. So I was blessed actually to have that little padding with um, employment. And once I started saving up enough money to save up and get my own place, because I was couch hopping actually for quite some time, I think almost five months, six months. And, um, and honestly, just through the kindness of literal strangers um, that offered me a place to, to, rest. It was just um, absolutely amazing. I mean, I, I, I stayed with them about a month at a time. So it was just really five strangers. It wasn't like every night, but that was a really hard time in my life. And I just was like, you know, I need to get my stuff together. And eventually I got into real estate, got my license and, and found a good firm and I started making a little money. And so after my whole personal drama and growth, and I was finally stable, I was ready to go out and, um, well, actually, no, I, I had a girlfriend for about two years um, that I met during the summer prior, during the summer of the first year of college when I dropped out and I was, the anticipation was to go back to school. And then I went back and I was like, I, I can't fucking do this. And so I left, I texted her and I was like, Hey, like, I'm back in New York City. Surprise. I, we thought we were leaving each other, but I'm back. And she was like, what? And she went to Baruch and she lives in Williamsburg. So um, after like the first five months of figuring my stuff out and figuring us out, I ended up moving with, in with her. And, you know, we, we dated for like two years. It was, she, she's an amazing person. Her name's Nicole. And she was finishing her degree and I was just figuring my stuff out. And, um, yeah, like I got into real estate, started making some money. And then that's when I started like really starting to explore the community, going to Cubbyhole, going to, you know, the neighborhood bars together. And um, yeah, and I think really my biggest growth is when we broke up and I was really ready to start finding a community other than just my girlfriend and her friends and my friends. And you know how it is when you're like in a relationship and you just kind of leverage each other's relationships and you're comfortable. And now I was kind of back to like square one with not many friends, not many people, queer women to talk to. And so I figured I'd move to the West Village. So I moved to the West Village on West 10th Street, about a two minute walk from Cubbyhole. And I was like, this is going to be my year. I'm going to know everybody. I recently chopped off all my hair because that's what I did after the breakup. And um, I was looking real cute. And um, I started going out to the, to the bars, Cubbyhole particularly. And there was some positives and there were some negatives. But really the biggest thing was 
I don't want to just go to Cubbyhole every night. I want different experiences. I want different spaces. I want different people. I want different ages. I want, I don't want to just go into a dive bar, which has been a tremendous resource for the queer community for many, many years. I'm not denoting that, but I wanted something young and chic and fashionable and just something with the L word really kind of portrayed. And, um, that's when I started to get into events. And that's when um, I started throwing my own events because at the time while doing real estate, I uh, teamed up with Wolf Hospitality, which is like a really chic hospitality group that throws pop-up events throughout New York City. And um, I knew the owner and I was just working there as really like a host, making some extra cash at at night. And um, I figured like, whoa, like they have these cool clubhouses and in Manhattan, like one on West 23rd, they had another space uptown and they had access to all these different connections. I started thinking like, what if I brought the queer community in these really chic places and they just paid 10, $15 to get in and we brought the community together in different ways. And so I guess you could say about two years ago, that's when the owner his name is Kalen, phenomenal guy. He really took a risk on me. He actually gave me his two floor level club on the West side to throw my first party for queer women. And I went hard with marketing. I did like print marketing. I went to people in Cubbyhole and was giving them flyers. Like I'm throwing this event, come, you know, like going to every single, going to Ginger's bar in Brooklyn, introducing myself. And, um, I guess it was kind of weird. Like I wouldn't do that again unless it was more like natural, but needless to say, it was kind of uh, a bust. There was like only 20 people that showed up and it was like a huge two floor level club. And we had like live entertainment and we had like this bondage girl. And um, I was like, it's okay. I know there's a a community here because I got validation from the girls that came. They're like, this is dope. We just need more people. And um, I mean, what do you expect? Like I didn't have any marketing knowledge at that time. I I was doing everything physical. I did nothing online, no online marketing. And um, it's like launching the first, your first podcast episode. That's how many people listen versus now, you know? You probably got more people at that party than I had listening when I first dropped my podcast. stop. Yeah. So it's okay. So you, we we yeah, got to start okay. somewhere. That's what starting is. I, I completely feel exactly. You. Exactly. I guess I started with too big. So, um, so that was a lesson learned. And then I said, you know what, let's really develop this the right way. And I figured you got to just start small. So then we had this small little clubhouse on West 23rd, which was essentially like this really chic, exposed brick, essentially two bedroom apartment with a balcony, but it's in great location. And, um, I just started marketing. I just started telling everybody come through. I had friends like, please just like invite them. You don't even have to pay at this point. Just like come. And we had a pretty good turnout and I was like, okay, cool. And this is slowly, um, that was actually the event that you came to. I remember that night. (laughs) So yeah. So I even had some, you know, allies there. It was just to get more people in the space. Yeah, so, no, I remember you were starting something I was happy to support. 
Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. And then, um, and it's actually really interesting. This, this pandemic has been a blessing for me because all I have been doing is marketing, 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 connecting, doing virtual events, which has vastly, vastly scaled this company from a mere hundred people in my mailing list to now well over a thousand, 1500 at this point. And so through the pandemic, you've been doing online events? Yeah, so we were doing quarantine, happy hour, um, just quarantine Zooms. And that's where I actually brought three speakers within the queer community to speak about what, what they work in. So there was a model, her name, Chelsea Boyle. She was a queer, androgynous model, and she spoke about the modeling industry. Then we had an art director um, who spoke about art. Then we had a music uh, we had like a couple, which was cute. It was um, DJ Whitney and her girlfriend and her girlfriend writes music. And we, and what I wanted to do for the community was have them speak about what they do, but then also open it up for questions for people who want to get in the industry. And um, it was amazing the the types of conversations that just ensued because of just having the space and having these, the opportunity and networking happened. And that's really when I saw the spark of like, whoa, this could be big on a grander, larger scale. If we just get the right people in the right room and the right environment and the right music and the right conversation going, it, it's amazing what can happen within a room of just 30 people, for example, on a Zoom call. And so that it was able, we were able to leverage that. And then we got, um, and then it just kind of dawned upon me that there was a huge, huge, huge community of queer women that I realized like it's not even about being queer sometimes. It's just I'm queer and that's part of my identity. But at the same time, I have so much more to offer. And when you leverage both of that together in the same space, it's like double value. Like, you know, and you're able to connect with that person. We're queer, but you also do this thing and that's really cool. And I do this thing. And um and and that's when we were really developing out the app because I figured, well, why don't we centralize events and dating, like a different type of dating. Um, like, pr like pre-COVID, we were just building out an app because I figured it was going to be the answer to my marketing problem of fi like finding people to come to my events. Why don't I make it an app where people will know where all the events are? And then have a specialized dating, which includes specialized filters. So you can search for a lesbian or somebody that's bisexual or whatever really your pronouns or your sexuality is. I wanted to kind of empower our, our user because we found we did a lot of research prior to COVID. Uh, we asked over 500 women, what do you want in an app? What do you see? What are your issues? And we found that it was time consuming. People lost a lot of hope. Some of them had different ideas of what they were looking for certain models right now um, weren't just satisfying these needs. And really it came down to also just community and lack of resourcefulness. And so I figured, okay, like let's make a better app, more specialized targeted app to save time, energy, and money when finding another match, but then also bring in a community aspect to it because one, I wanted people to come to my events and two, after doing all this work during COVID, I realized I wasn't the only person, the small little business owner trying to throw in events. I wasn't the only one in New York. There was another woman who was throwing queer events for um, like minority groups. 
something that I wouldn't have ever stumbled upon unless I was deep, deep, deep into the research and leveraging and asking people, who else do you know? Um, it's called Straight, Straight But Not Narrow Ladies. So that's another event group in, in Brooklyn. Um, then, you know, there was just a lot of things that I learned that there was a lot of people in the community that wanted to share what they could bring. Queer coaches, which was really cool. I met a few queer coaches that um, provided like a lot of resources. Um, the LGBTQ center, I found out that there was free therapy if you're queer and it's specifically queer. And I was just like, how, how it's not a simple Google search of like what to do in New York city as a queer woman. And I figured we need to centralize not only dating, not only events, but resources for people who are just trying to figure it out. Maybe somebody is struggling with their mental health. They should know that the Trevor Project, which are, is our um, recent sponsor who's going to be joining on the app, they have 24-hour chat or phone call. Like, I didn't know that until I spoke with them. You know, I've heard of the Trevor Project, didn't know they had that resource. Or the LGBTQ Center on West 13th, where they have literally queer therapy from queer counselors and a recovery unit completely free if you don't have insurance. And if you do have insurance, it's like $20 a copay compared to traditional. And I personally went through the therapy program and it was so amazing to be heard and to be able to express myself without having to re-express myself to get the point across. You know what I'm saying? And um, I had a, a queer roommate at the time when I, was, when I still live with my girlfriend. She just moved out, but she was going to see another therapist who was um, from Russia because she, she was also from Russia. And her therapist was questioning her sexuality. And I was like, girl, you need to go to the LGBTQ center, you know? And I could go on for days with all the people that I've met and all the great experiences. But really, it's just like, like people should know about your podcast. Like, what if there was a centralized place for you to just post your podcast and people are immediately in the know, you know, they could check it out if they want or, or they don't, but at least they know. And so that's, we built out that feature, like kind of last minute. Cause I was just like, there needs to be something else that creates more value other than dating. Cause it's already been done other than events. Cause it's already been technically done. What else can we provide for the community that will drastically change the landscape of how we see our online communities now. And that's, you know, to anybody, if you or a large corporation, small business, they can sign up for free and post their small business. And that's on the same platform as the dating app. Yeah. And the events it's all app. within one dating app. Yeah. That's great. Um, how did you lay yeah. out the user experience? It's probably an interesting challenge to think about how yeah. people will go in and experience the app as a user. Yeah, I had a I had a UX UI designer that designed the actual visuals, but I had the concept pretty set down because what I wanted was it to be kind of like a gamified version of not only asking yourself who you wish to meet, but also asking yourself who you are as a person and being able to leverage those answers and actually filter out those questions. So the first thing that when you sign up on the app, it says, how do you want to meet someone? And it's like coffee, wine, um, a marijuana leaf, or like a sober thing. 
And so you can now search, I want to meet somebody who's sober, because sometimes it's hard to find other people in the community that are sober if you're sober and going on a date. Or And then the second question is like, um, what would your first date be? What, what would you like your first date to be? And it's like adventure, romantic dinner, Netflix and chill, um, concert, go on a hike, theater. And it's these questions that really make not only yourself think, but also when you're searching for somebody, okay, where are these certain um, values? Do they align? Because I, I think, yeah, maybe opposites attract. Maybe you could agree or disagree with me. Do you think opposites attract? I mean, everything within reason. I'm sure there are, even for people who are pretty opposite, there are going to be certain ways that they're similar, things that they like in common, ways that they're both comfortable in the same situations. Yeah, so that's kind of where we saw it is just finding similar values or just bypassing the whole experience of having to mindlessly swipe, 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 and then wait for somebody to message you or you message them first. Like, I feel like we all kind of have a pretty good sense of who we're looking for, right? When you're, when you're in the dating pool. And at the same time, I didn't want it to just be for people who are single because there was a huge community that we found out, people together, people who are married that, especially in these small communities, lack finding queer connections. And they would go on dating apps and then people would think that they want to threesome and they're like, no, this is like really annoying. And they would just hop off altogether because there wasn't a filter saying, okay, we're actually monogamous, but we're looking for friends. And now on Let's Be, you can literally do that. And you can be in this little pool of, I'm in a monogamous re relationship, but we're looking for friends, you know, and you could, like I said, you could search out just, I'm looking for a lesbian, you know, I'm looking for, I'm transgender. I'm looking for other transgender folks. I'm just figuring it out. You know, you could also say, I don't know. And just having that representation that was in my pitch deck to my investors, it's like, there's lack of representation lack of physical and online space and lack of community. And we need to be able to just kind of conjoin all these issues together, solve them, and then scale. So please invest. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, we were able to raise $60,000 with just this concept and and the, the proof and the vision. And, you know, we were able to build it out. So that's so exciting. And when did you launch? So we initially had a soft launch, we had about 250 users sign up. And now we're just doing some back-end stuff to make sure we're ironing out all the kinks. And uh, we'll probably be up and running in the next week or so. Um, so when it is launched, or actually probably by the time I release this, it'll already be launched. So where can people then at that point go to find it? Yeah, so you could just go to the App Store and type in Let's Be, L-E-T-Z-B. Um, and probably at the time, we'll also have it on the Google Play Store for people who have um, the Android. So both versions will be out. And if you still can't find it, just type in Let's Be in Google and our website will pop up, sign up on our mailing list. So you'll get all updates with our events and launches and more parties and things along that nature. L-E-T-Z-B. Let's be. That's right. Amazing. So is there anything else that you want to share? Is there anything else you've learned about you know, queer women through this journey of yours? Is there anything else that, any advice that you have or anything important that you want to share like that? I think really what it all comes down to is just 
finding your, your tribe, finding your people, emphasizing less on finding love because that will come naturally. And when you find your people, and it doesn't have to be close friends. I know a lot of people who I'm just, you know, acquaintances with, but knowing that they're queer and them knowing I'm queer and seeing them in public spaces, whether it's at a queer bar or at a or at Charles's house or at Charles's house, which was trippy. And I'm super blessed that, you know, we were able to actually meet and connect. And um, I mean, you could probably tell that I was lesbian because I had a really short haircut, right? There was that other, remember, wasn't there also like that other lesbian couple? We didn't hang out with them, but we'd see them making out sometimes. <laughs> we'd, we'd see them on the other side. You don't remember that? All right, forget it. All right, so I'll scratch it. Um, but yeah, all right. So, but what you were saying, the, the point about finding your tribe, were you complete on that or did you have more to say on it? Yeah, no, just, you know, find your tribe, find your people, find yourself, most importantly, and the rest will fall into place. But you have to look. You can't just wait for something to happen. You have to go out with the intention and feel comfortable enough to start an initial conversation because all the people that I've met during pre-COVID and during COVID and post-COVID, I personally went out and introduced myself and... Once you get past that initial fear, which I still get scared meeting other people that I don't know, but once you do and you do find that connection, you know, it's just, um, it's just amazing to be able to grow and build from that point forward. All right. Well, I hope that your app leads to many, many, many humans finding their tribe and lots of other good things. Is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up? Um, I think I'm set. Fantastic. How about you? I'm good. So where can people go to find you? Is there any other place you'd want people following you? Yeah, just follow follow my personal page. I post everything on there. It's kind of a funny at. It's called Cast Me Outside New York City. So just Cast Me Outside NYC on Instagram. Cast Me Outside. All right. And that's at Instagram. Is there any other... Not really. Come to my events if you want to meet me physically. <laughs> All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. And now I would love to hear from you. We covered a whole lot of things in this episode, but I'm curious. What of the many things we talked about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share your dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then there are tons of free resources for you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminate rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of those things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to finding your soulmate faster and easier, and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. 
Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that you think can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, keep remembering that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women. Women.